you got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John. We started this last week and got into the first couple of verses of 1 John, and I hopefully left you going home singing some awful, terrible music that you then shared all night. Yep, sorry, not sorry. Um, some of your parents are even telling me, they, they were like, I heard about earworms, and I was like, okay, but now here's the follow-up question. Ask your student, what are the three themes of 1 John? And if they answer correctly, then you should probably do something very nice for them. So if any of your parents ask you that and you answer correctly, hopefully you got something. If you don't know the three themes, here they are again, because we're going to remind you. Three themes of 1 John. Throughout this whole letter, you're going to see three themes. Believe, obey, and love. Believe, Know the right things about Jesus, obey, live the way Jesus commands us to live, and to love, love the way God loves us and he loves others. And those are the three themes of 1 John. Let's take a second, let's pray, and then we're going to go through the next couple of verses. There's only three verses tonight, actually, so it's going to be a nice, short, and uh, easy to follow, I hope. So let's pray. Lord, again, thank you so much for this time. And I just pray, Lord, now over this uh, time in your word, as we look at it, as we study it as a group, as we consider what you are telling us about our lives and about who you are. God, may we understand more of who you are now. And in light of that, may we see ourselves more clearly in the shadow of the cross and the shadow of your grace and your goodness, seeing more of who you have made us to be and who you want us to be. So God, may we fall more in love with you through the reading of your word tonight, through the study of it, and may it honor and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so this passage tonight is all about walking. And I don't know about you guys, but... Um, if you like going on walks, uh, we make our kids do a lot of walking when we go places. And one of the best ones, and it's actually kind of like a funny family joke now in our family, is that when you go to the North Carolina Zoo, you know, like how many of you guys have ever started at the top, right? You start at the top. You don't start in Africa. You start at the top, right? And then you work your way down. Then how many of you guys take the tram and go back to your car? Just show of hands if you've been, okay, we got a few, we got a few. Yeah, in my family, that's not allowed. Um, and even with our five-year-old who, you know, is complaining on the way down, on the way back up, we make them go. And this is the mantra that Morgan drills into their heads. As we're walking, she goes, but we're good walkers. But we're good walkers. And the moment that they're about to complain, but, but we're good walkers. Like, that's exactly how it goes. And it is an, it's an opportunity, right? Because as you're traveling and as you're going up that hill, I love how when you get to the crest of the hill, they say you made it. And it's all downhill from here. Right, And it's just the walk all the way up. But you know what's funny is on that walk, even though you have already gone by those exhibits because you've gone down the hill at the zoo and now you're going to go back up the hill, you're going to pass by the same things. You might see something different or you might get a glimpse of something that wasn't happening before. Or maybe an animal that was asleep first time around is now awake and you're getting to see something new. And so the walk is important. There's a lot of things that happen on the walk and there's, there's ups and downs, but there's time that passes when you go on a walk or on a journey. And a lot of times in the Bible, the, the Christian life is described as a walk. People talk about it all the time. This is like a Christianese thing. They say, like, how's your walk with Christ, right? Like, how's your walk doing? People ask that question. And, and you're supposed to assume to know that means, like, how is your relationship with Jesus? How is that progressing? How are you doing in terms of your fellowship with God? Tonight's passage is three verses, 1 John 1, 5, 6, and 7 are the three verses we're going to look at, and it's all about this walk. It's a walk in the light, a walk that is supposed to be not in darkness, but illuminated by fellowship with God. And there's three questions that I think you should ask yourself anytime you think about what it means to have fellowship with God, because 
That's what is said, or what 1 John was all about when we talked about last week in the intro. What is he trying to get at? He's trying to get at that we would have fellowship with one another and we would have fellowship with God so that our joy may be complete. So he wants us to have a relationship, not just with each other that works, but more importantly, a relationship with the, with the Lord that works. That's what he wants for us. And how does that happen? And what does it look like? And I think these are the questions that I hope you're asking yourself as you think about, okay, like, I want to have a relationship with God, but who is this God that I'm about to have a relationship with? That's a question you should ask. Because you don't just get into a relationship that could change your life without knowing something about that person. Like, you, prayerfully, don't one day go on a blind date and then say, I'm going to marry that person. Before the blind date starts, right? Like, guys, not a good move to go with a ring in hand to a blind date and just be like, the moment they walk in the door, like, bam, like, we're doing this thing. We're locking it up for life. Ladies, if a guy does that to you, run. Don't walk. Run. Okay? Dating advice 101, right? So you don't enter into a relationship with somebody who you don't really know. And so I think it's important that we answer this question. The first one, who is this God that I am going to fellowship with? What's he like? Who is he? And some of you guys are like, man, that's such an easy question to answer. But, but for some people, you, you skip that. Or maybe you don't dwell on that deeply enough because you've just grown up around church too often. You don't think about who he is. And the second question you should ask is, what does it take to be in fellowship with him? And what does that fellowship with him bring? Like, what is the benefit to being in a relationship with God? There's a lot of people who are weighing what it means to be in a relationship with God, or if they should even follow him at all, and they're weighing up the options, like, should I just go with the way of the world, or should I follow the Lord? What's, what's more valuable to me? You should probably know what a fellowship with the Lord is going to bring into your life. So the three verses we're going to study tonight answer all three of those questions in order. So here we go. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. We'll just read one verse at a time. Ready? It says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This answers the question, who is this God that you and I are going to fellowship with? If we're going to enter into a relationship with Jesus, we're going to be known by God and we're going to know God. Who is this God? Well, he is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John is always connecting a lot of stuff. You're going to see a lot of times in this book where you can go back to the beginning. You can go back to Genesis chapter 1 for a lot of things. We did it last week. And in this one, I think it's not a mistake that he talks about light because in day one of creation, at the very beginning when God starts creating stuff, God created light, and then there was light. Light is one of the most essential ways that God shows us what he is like. His divine character is shown that he is light. You ever think about it? Like, if, if the light didn't exist first, then you really couldn't have the creation order of all the other things that would happen. Plants need light to survive. Animals need light to survive because they need plants as well. We need light to survive. You know, think, things in our world, if the sun went dark, we would all be in trouble. Things would cease to work. Life on this planet would not be sustainable if you just turned the lights out, right? And so for God to create light first, to show an essential element of who he is, creating light first shows us that light is essential for life. 
It also is the sustaining element of life. God is trying to tell you something. He's trying to show me something. That everything that he is doing comes from him and is sustained by him. It all started with light. It grows through light and is sustained by light. God's trying to show you it's all about me. Started with me creating you. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to sustain you to the end. That's what it's about. So when 1 John says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, there's two ways of thinking about it. And the first way to understand is that God is supreme truth and in him there is no error. There is no error in God at all. He is supreme truth. He is light. There is no falsehood at all. Now the second thing about this is that there's also something interesting else about light. Throughout the Bible and especially in the Old Testament... Light is usually a representation of God's ways. So you've got God's character as the creator and the giver and the sustainer of life, but you also have what he does in action. And what God does in action is he is perfectly right in every single thing that he does. So when God makes a decision to do something, you can't second guess it because there's not a better option than what he chose. He chose the only correct option. He is incapable of choosing the wrong option. Sometimes in our lives, we think that God has messed up or has dropped the ball along the way. But but John is trying to remind you of a very fundamental truth. God does not error. He does not make mistakes. So when he thinks about something or does something, it is completely 100% right. It also is to tell you that His light means that he is completely set apart from us. His holiness is something that is altogether different than anything we can understand. That's what holy means. It's set apart. It's otherness. And I I put it on the screen, but 1 Timothy 6 really captures this. It talks about Jesus and talks about God. And it says, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light... Whom no one has ever seen or can see. That's the description that Timothy has, or Paul gives Timothy of God. He's of this unapproachable light that no one can has ever seen or can see. He is alone as immortality, is the sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of Lords. He is set apart from you and I. That is the idea that light should give you. So, yes, creator, sustainer, and giver of life, but also he is completely separate from darkness. He's perfectly pure, holy, right, and good in everything that he does and says. Which is good news because God is supremely good and in him there is no evil whatsoever. There is no evil in him. You know, there's a lot of darkness in our world. It's deceptive. Darkness throws off what you can see. You know, like, you, you, you go outside and, and, and you see things in the dark and they don't look the same as they do in the light. Or you think you see something in the darkness and it turns out to be something else. This happens quite frequently in uh, my backyard when my dog, we're in a rhythm with her where she goes out to the bathroom around 9.30, 10 o'clock at night and then she's done for the night. And then she, like, runs upstairs and wants to hop in our bed. And then she has to, like, wait for us to watch, like, a television show before she can go to her crate. She can't just go. She's in her thing. It's, like, her, her thing. And then when I want to pick her up and put her in her crate, this is what she does. She wags her tail and rolls over and says, I dare you to pick me up. Like, I dare you. I'm going to go limp, and I dare you to pick me up. Try it. And then sometimes she growls, and I get mad. And then that's a great way to end my night. But anyway, before that, when I take her outside, 
in our backyard, it's pretty dark, we have floodlights on and things, but there are times when I look out there and I think I see something, but I'm not really quite sure. Sometimes it turns out to be true, sometimes it turns out to be wrong, and the way I know is if I hear a thud shortly thereafter when the dog comes outside. You know what it is? It's a rabbit. These rabbits get in our backyard, they get trapped in our fence, and we have strategically placed stones in our uh, gaps under our fence um, so that they get in one spot and then they make it to the other side of the fence. Well, then when they get to that side, there's no exit. So they get stuck. When they see me and the dog come out, they freeze in the yard. And sometimes I just think, man, is that like a, is that a, is that a branch? Like, what is that? Or is that a root? Or is that a, like a weird, I don't know, like mud? I don't know what that is because they, they freeze, they get in a little ball. And then shortly thereafter, the dog gets a little closer. She doesn't see him because, I don't know, she's not like a killer. I mean, she's a golden doodle. They don't, they don't, they get, they're harmless. Um, she gets a little closer. She doesn't see it. The rabbit sees her, and the rabbit takes off and runs headfirst straight into our fence and just thud. And, it, I mean, at 10 o'clock at night when it's pretty dark outside, and I don't live in, like, a very heavily populated area, when you hear a, a loud thud at 10 o'clock in the night, you... Like, I get alerted. Like, I'm like, oh, who's out there? Like, it's the rabbit again. But, you know, in the darkness, you can't see it. Like, in the daytime, I could see that thing clear as day. It's brown. My grass is decently green right now. So I can tell that it's a rabbit. But at nighttime, it distorts the view. Man, this is such good news that God has no darkness in him at all. There is no distortion in God. There's no games that God is playing with you. You probably have people in your life who string you along or play these weird games with you or, or are deceptive or, or kind of un, uneasy or, or don't tell you the full truth. And they tell you, well, I didn't really lie to you, but they didn't really tell you the truth either. You don't have to worry that God's ever going to do that to you because in him there is no darkness at all. What a, a blessing and what an encouragement it is to know that's the God I'm going to fellowship with the creator and sustainer of life, and one in whom there is no darkness at all, one I can be completely, wholly trusting in. He is completely trustworthy. That's good news. All right, let's continue on. First John uh, 1, verse 6 now. Next question we're going to answer is, what does it take to fellowship with God? Here's the answer. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. So, so here, here's where we've got great news about this fellowship with God, but there's also the, the reality of what happens if we say that we are walking with him, but we are really not. So what does it take to fellowship with him? And the, the reality is, is that I can't fellowship with God when I am consistently walking in sin. And I told you about that, that zoo walking, you know, we're good walkers thing, because when you think about this, walking in sin means that you are continually pursuing that. Like when I'm walking out of that zoo, I'm consistently pursuing my car. Like I want to get to the parking lot because I want to go home because usually it's pretty hot or it's really cold. I feel like we've always hit the extremes when we go to the zoo. So it's like you want to get out of there and you want to get to your car. So that's my destination. So every single thing that I'm doing is driving me towards that destination. Well, if you're walking in sin, every single thing you're doing is walking in step with things that are against God's will for your life. You're basically walking, pursuing whatever it is you want for yourself. That's what sin is. You're just pursuing your own wants and desires. So I can't fellowship with God when I'm consistently walking that direction. That's, that's what he's saying. The requirement is you can't be walking in sin to fellowship with him. 
When it says in, in verse 6 to practice truth, the literal translation is for someone doing the truth, doing things that is the right thing to do, that is obedient to God. This is why John is always talking about believing who God is, what he said in verse 5, and then in verse 6 he's saying, now you need to obey him. You've got to do what he's telling you to do. I wrote down here that walking is a persistent movement in a particular direction. So it, it, your lifestyle, I mean, it, overall, are you consistently, continually pursuing sinful things? Like, if that's your lifestyle, then you have to ask some serious questions about where your fellowship with God actually is. Because, in essence, First John is saying that if you are continuously walking in sin, how can you say you have fellowship? Because you can't. You can't walk with the Lord and continue to practice all this other stuff over here. In order to do that, what you'd have to do is you would essentially have to say that sin is not a big deal. That sin's really not that big of an issue. And that can't be right. It can't be that sin is not that serious. Jesus said this in, in John chapter 3. And this is the other book that John wrote that you know very well. Jesus said this, shortly after the famous verse, John 3, 16, verse 19 says this, this is the judgment, or this is the final decision, that light has come into the world, Jesus has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works would be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. If you're continually walking in sin, you're going to want to hide from the light. Because you don't want it to be exposed. Now, I was looking at this, you know, like old school ways, nowadays we have digital cameras, but old school ways when they took film and they had to go into the dark room and like develop the film in like the water of those dark rooms with like this really weird, creepy red light. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that in like movies or TV shows, but if you ever open that canister of film and any element of light hits the film, it actually exposes what they call the negative of the film. I think that's really interesting. Light exposes the negative. It's the same way in the Lord. Like, the closer you walk to Jesus, the more the light exposes the stuff in you. And people don't like that. They don't like it because you know why they don't like it? They like what they're doing in their sin. But for the Christian, as you get closer to Christ, when his light exposes your sin, you actually, you don't enjoy that process. You're not like, oh, yay, I'm sinning. I love that you're showing me this. But no, what you are, you are, you are thankful that God is exposing that so you can get rid of it. Because you detest or you hate that sins in your life. That's what the Christian wants that to happen. The warning here is that we cannot claim that sin does not matter. Because sin is very serious. Sin can't be redefined. And you can't just pretend that sin doesn't exist or it's not a big deal. This is not a popular message. This is not something that people want to talk about in church or anywhere else for that matter. But it, the reality is, is that if you don't talk about this, then you will end up walking in darkness and not in the light. I love this, uh, this story. Uh, I'll read a quote from this book in a second, but I, I love this story. Um, this is from The Holiness of God by a guy named R.C. Sproul. But he's talking about how people viewed the differences of sin and, and what sin looks like to God. 
And he, told, he writes this story down. I'm just going to read it for you. A couple of years ago, this is probably years ago now because this was, was written a long time ago. Time Magazine reported an incident that took place in my home state, the state of Maryland. Woo! Um, a truck driver was arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct. So this truck driver is kind of drunk, he's a little surly, and he's getting angry, okay? The police officers arrive on the scene to arrest the man, and he then became abusive. He used filthy language in a boisterous manner, called the officers every name he could think of, and the police were infuriated by the verbal abuse. When the men was brought before the, the judge, he was still being abusive. So you imagine this guy is like in the courtroom and he's still screaming out like swear words at the judge in the courtroom. This guy does not care, right? The maximum penalty the judge could impose for his drunk and disorderly conduct at the time was a hundred dollar fine and 30 days in jail. Like you imagine, like he's a drunk driver, he got caught and then screams at the cops about all the things that he's calling all of these names. And he's going to get 30 days in jail and a $100 fine. That did not sit well with the judge. The judge became so angry, he wanted to throw the book at him. So he went back to his study and found an antiquated law book still sitting on his shelf. And he found an old law that was still in practice in the state of Maryland at the time. It said this, the disuse of this law had never been repealed. The law stated that one cannot have or pro it prohibited public blasphemy. Basically, publicly saying things against the name of the Lord. That law was like an old law. You can go find like these old crazy laws. Like there's weird ones in Georgia about like how much fried chicken you can have and where you can be. It's weird. And like there, you should Google it. It's, there's funny ones out there. But this one was still on the books, okay? So the man had publicly profaned and blasphemed the name of God, and as part of the verbal abuse he hurled at the police, so the judge tacked on another 100 days and another $150 fine, and so he lasted longer in jail. He got to throw the book at him, essentially. Time, New Time Magazine picked up this story and reported that the incident created some moral outrage. The writer of the article said this, this was not a problem. There's no way that this man should have had an extra 100 days in jail. I am outraged, the writer said. This is gross miscarriage of justice. This penalty is too severe. It is cruel and unusual. This guy's a drunk driver. Like, he deserves to be in prison. But you know why the Time Magazine editor was so mad? It's because he got an extended jail sentence because he blasphemed the name of God. That made him mad, and that made the Time editor say, that is not just. That is cruel. Who cares if he said a couple of swear words about a God? That's not a big deal. You see how everybody like takes down the view of like what sin really looks like in the sight of a holy God. They minimize it. Pretend it's not that big a deal. And in reality, drunk driving is a serious offense. But blaspheming the name of God is just as serious, if not more so in some ways. In, in, that, in that book I was just reading out of, I put it on the screen. It's a long quote, but I'm just going to read it. I've said this often before. This is where I get this, this idea. But from this book, it says this. Sin is cosmic treason. Treason is just basically if you're going against your country. Like, you, you know, you commit an act of treason, Benedict Arnold style. You're going to, you're going to die. Um, <clears throat> it's an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything. To the one who has given us life itself. What are we saying to our creator when we disobey him at the slightest point? This is what we're saying. God, your law is not good. 
My judgment is better than yours. Your authority does not apply to me. I'm above and beyond your jurisdiction. I have the right to do what I want to do, not what you command me to do. Like, that, that's it. That, that's the seriousness of sin. So if we continue to walk this way, we can't claim we have fellowship with the Lord. That's the bad news. Let's finish, let's finish with some good news before you go home. Okay, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what does the fellowship of God, with God bring? It brings two things. Number one, he says it brings fellowship with one another. Because if you're pursuing Christ and you're walking in the light, then you will be treating people and loving others as they should be treated. And so you'll have this fellowship with one another. We're also going to get to this later in the book, but I'll just spoil it a little bit. There were people at the time this was written who thought you didn't have to love other Christians to be a Christian. And that was what they thought. And so John wrote this letter partly to tell them that's wrong. And he says this in here to start that argument with them. That's not right. You, you must love God's people as a person of God yourself. Here's the reality. Truth in this reality, as you walk in the light, because the light brings truth and shows you what is right, truth is not taught to help you pass the next Bible quiz. And I feel like so, so often, like, we, we just treat knowing the Bible as, I got to get the right answer down. I got to be able to supply the right answer. That's not the goal. The goal is not for you to learn stuff or, or hear stuff that's preached in church or in a small group, just so that you can say you know more about the Bible. The point of knowing truth is so that you can use that truth to help you meet the next situation in God's way. And typically, the next situation is going to be your relationships with other people. That's why truth is so important. The second thing, and, and this is the good news that we're going to end on, what does fellowship with God bring? He says it brings you purification from all sin by Jesus' blood. Let me read that part of the verse again. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here's what's so important about that. That idea of purified is a word that means it is continually happening. Purifying keeps going. I love this quote from this, uh, this commentator, David Jackman. He says this, Frequently, we Christians are deprived of the enjoyment of walking in the light because we feel we have failed so often that perhaps in a recurring or besetting sin that we dare not come back to God to ask for fresh forgiveness. Here's what I'm going to tell you, is that I know there are those of you in this room who there are things in your life that you continue to stumble in in terms of sin. And, and this is what the enemy is telling you and whispering into your ear or maybe sometimes filling your mind with you ready this is what he's telling you don't go back to god with that again really that one that that thing that you stumbled over again god is going to be so tired of hearing that same story you need to stop he needs to like he is done with this you need to figure it out on your own now because you clearly are still broken, still messed up. You didn't get over it. You're not passing go. You're not collecting $200. You're not getting it right with God. You are still walking in sin. So why even bother going back to God with this? You shouldn't. You shouldn't do it. I know that you guys struggle with that because that's the same lie the enemy tries to tell with every one of us. That God's tired of dealing with you in that habit that you have yet to break in your sin. Here's the good news. When it says that he cleanses us from all sin, that's continually cleansing. 
Like, that's an invitation for God to say, no, 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 continue to talk to me. Continue to bring that to me and confess that to me. Continue to ask for my, for my forgiveness because I'm giving it to you freely. I want you to bring that to me. Like, that is what he is saying here. You want to know how I know that? Because there's, there's scripture to back it up. I'm, this is not my own interpretation. Jeremiah 33, 8. God promises this. And again, if there's no darkness in him and he doesn't lie, then you can take this to the bank. Jeremiah 33, 8. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive them all the guilt of their sin and their rebellion against me. John 8, 12. This is Jesus. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Continually cleansing, continually walking with you, continually forgiving you, continually showing you more grace upon grace upon grace. That's what it means to have fellowship with him. That's what you receive when you walk with Christ. I wrote this down for myself, and maybe this will just encourage you. That forgiveness that he purchased for you when he died for you, got you that purification, but it also did this. It brought you holiness, truth, integrity, guidance, warmth, comfort. That's what the light does. When you walk in the light, you have this warmth, this comfort, this guidance, this clarity, this holiness, this truth, this integrity. It's all for you in Christ. That's why it's better to walk in the daytime than it is to walk at night. You can see things more clearly. You can avoid the pitfalls. You can have confidence. You can have hope. I, I'll just share this really quickly. One of the most annoying things is when I get up out of bed at night, in the middle of the night, and it's dark in my room, and I walk around the room that I think I know so well, because I live in this room. It's my bedroom, right? And yet somehow, inevitably, I still walk right into the corner of my bed frame. And it's a sharp little pointy corner, and it's just high enough to hit me right in my thigh and give me an instant Charlie horse. There's nothing like a two-in-the-morning Charlie horse to really make you sleep well at night, you know, and make you really just praise Jesus. It just gets me going, okay? Like, no, it doesn't, okay? It makes me mad. It makes me really angry. But you know what? As comfortable as I am in that room in the darkness, it would just be so much better if I could turn a light on. Don't get comfortable in the darkness. Even if you've lived in it for a long time, come back to the Lord because he is not tired of forgiving you. He's not tired of purifying you. He's not given up on you. Don't think that he ever will. He wants to continue to walk in fellowship with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word and the reality that through you, God, we are purified and we have a relationship with you that you have purchased for us in Christ. God, you forgave us of our sin. It was a once and for all forgiveness. It wasn't that we are going to have to continue to earn it or walk closer to you or figure it out on our own or get out of the darkness by ourselves. You pulled us out of the darkness and brought us into this glorious light with you. And as Christians, faithfulness and your love drives us to more obedience. Those who love you want to faithfully obey because we know what we've been saved from. So God, I just pray tonight that we've been able to picture what sin looks like. 
and see the difference of walking in darkness versus walking in light. And may we be people who desire the light. May you cleanse us and show us the pitfalls of sin, that it does lead to death and destruction. And God, may we know that you have forgiven us. You seek to cleanse and purify us, and we thank you for that. God, we thank you for your love for us that you've shown through Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Remember, uh,